Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Remember to join us tonight, if you can, at 6.30, the Ferndale Area District Library, where we are going to continue our Detroit Today Summer Book Club. We are talking about Matthew Desmond's Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City. We're talking about eviction uh, and the stories of eviction that he tells in that book in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we're relating it to issues of housing insecurity here in Southeast Michigan, not just eviction, but also foreclosure, tax foreclosure, squatting, all of the things that we see in Southeast Michigan that threaten stable housing for many, many families. Tonight in Ferndale, we're going to talk specifically about how eviction affects children and families uh, and education. So we will have a really interesting conversation about those subjects there tonight. We would love if you can join us. Uh, if you can't, uh, you can still be part of the book club. You just go to WDET.org. We've got a couple more events scheduled before we end uh, this book club at the end of the summer. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and search for the Detroit Today Summer Book Club, and you can participate in the online discussion we're having about the book Evicted there. So hope to see you at uh, 630 tonight at the Ferndale Area District Library, and if not, at one of the other events. Okay, uh, parents, students, and teachers are all getting ready for the new school year, and it starts for most of us in just a couple of weeks. Today, we want to talk about two issues that affect almost every student, tracking and ability grouping. This is the process of sorting kids according to what teachers and administrators believe they're capable of doing. And in schools that embrace tracking, high and low achieving kids are separated out and placed into different classrooms. Ability grouping does it a little differently. It mixes classes with kids of differing abilities, although it still maintains different levels of instruction inside the classroom. This has been a controversial aspect of American education for decades. We have been talking for a really long time about what the right way is to mix classrooms, not just for kids who are high achievers and to make sure that they get all the opportunities that they're capable of dealing with, but also for kids who struggle with content. What's the best way to make sure they get what they need? Is it in classrooms that uh, that they find kids only like themselves, or is it in classrooms where there are higher achievers? A 2018 study by the Educational Endowment Association of the UK looked at 30 years of research and found that tracking and ability grouping can cause low-performing students to fall even further behind their peers by one or two months each year. But they also help high-achieving students get ahead of their classmates by one or two months every year. So there is this tension between what happens to high-achieving kids and what happens to low-achieving kids when you separate them either in classes or in instructional groups. So you have all kinds of school districts trying to deal with this issue. So in Ann Arbor, for instance, they've taken away traditional honors classes and created uh, more support classes. Uh, they're trying to figure ways to put kids together across ability groupings. At the same time, Kalamazoo County, on the other end of the spectrum, has a math and science center for the area's top students to receive the best instruction. And you can imagine what the population looks like in a center like that in terms of economic segregation, in terms of racial segregation. 
So you have schools all over the state trying to struggle with how to provide the best education for everyone, regardless of their ability and almost regardless of the choice they make, some controversy is going to follow. That is where we want to begin the conversation today. Should schools focus more on helping their best students get ahead, or should schools focus on helping struggling students catch up? And we want to hear from you this hour, especially. Would you support your child's school if it decided to take away, for instance, honors courses as a way to make uh, classes more mixed across ability groupings? Or do you think this move would hold back high-achieving students. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will try to work you into the conversation. We have a lot of voices we want to add to this debate uh, throughout the hour, but one that we will keep with us the entire time is a real expert in this area. Elizabeth Bridgeburn-Moji is the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan, and she joins us now to talk about this issue. Dr. Moji, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. Yes, it's great to see you. Uh, So let's start here. This seems somewhat like a no-win situation for school districts, right? Uh, if you uh, if you separate kids according to ability, you're going to get pushback from parents and families uh, of the kids who don't get into the highest groups about uh, cutting off that opportunity. At the same time, if you put kids in mixed ability groupings, either in classrooms or even in instructional groups, uh, a lot of times parents of the really exceptional kids have a problem with that. So what is a school district supposed to do? What's the way to, to approach this in a way that meets everybody's needs and doesn't sort of walk into the buzzsaw of uh, the tension around this issue? Well, that is a great question, Stephen. And, um, you know, if we, all, if we had the answer to that, I think we'd all be um, – millionaires or, um, you know, be <laughs> right? really, really be happy doing something people. else. <laughs> um, but I, I think there are um, some some important lessons from the research that can guide us. So I think the first thing to think about is um, the question of, you know, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. And if your goals are to provide opportunities for all students to learn, then um, everything we know about tracking, mm-hmm. when we talk about it as sorting kids mm-hmm. into different groups, to which they are virtually permanently right. Assigned. You're not going to move up and down the right. tracks. Right, right. It's really difficult to move. Um, if if that's the kind of tracking you're talking about, then we know that it does not serve all children right. equally, and that is a problem if your goal is to provide equitable instruction. So the research tells us, and this is the good news, mm-hmm. that heterogeneous groups mixed by skill. I like to think of it as skill mm-hmm. and not ability. And not ability, because right? Because people great, can learn uh, skills, right? Right. right. Um, if, if those groups are uh, mixed by skill and if teachers are equipped with the right kinds of resources and the right kinds of pedagogical or teaching practices, mm-hmm. then we can differentiate instruction to meet all students' needs. Now, are there times when we might need to provide extra instruction? 
um, whether it's um, something that might be, uh, what do they talk about in business, leveling people up, mm-hmm. um, helping them build skills that for some reason they didn't develop earlier or they missed or um, they missed in a transition from one school to another. If that's um, the case, then sure, mm-hmm. provide them those opportunities. But the important piece to remember is it's about differentiating instruction and it's about temporary mm-hmm. interventions that really seek to get kids to the place they should be. And that can mean the uh, so-called exceptional kids as well, that um, we can provide all sorts of enrichment and enhancement opportunities for all children, and everyone will benefit from those. Yeah, although that concept, I think, is often lost on uh, parents of really high achievers. And if you think of all of the pressures that exist on those families and you think of the, the level of competition, for instance, at the top of, uh, of educational achievement to get into college and get into the, the best college, uh, the, the, I think there's a lot of fear about my kid's not going to get everything that they're supposed to get if they're in a class with kids who are not quite at, this, at the same level. How do you, how do you make that case to those parents that it's better for their kids, that it is uh, it is going to serve their interests better mm-hmm. in the long term if they are in these uh, more diverse educational settings. So the first thing I would say is the research actually supports that. It does. That the heterogeneous groupings actually allow all children to learn. And in fact, some particular kinds of skills like verbal mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. Uh, are actually improved for all across the across the skill range, um, including the highly skilled students, um, when they're engaging in mixed group uh, instruction. Uh-huh. Again, um, I think it's all about the quality of the teaching, all about the ability of the teacher yeah. to navigate all of those different groups and skill levels, and about knowing when to put groups together to support kids in learning to work across difference. So one of the things that I would argue is that we hear from business and industry all the time that they need employees who can work in teams. Well, teams in the real world are rarely all exactly at the same skill level, right? And in fact, really good teams bring in people from, you know, with with all different kinds of skills. Um, Your team here in the station Mm -hmm. doesn't all have the skill of doing an on-air interview. Um, So you all have different roles that you play. If we can think of um, instruction in that way and helping all kids learn to work across all those differences, then actually all kids benefit. And we're actually building those team relationship skills that business and industry so desperately needs. Actually, colleges need that as well. Um, They want young people who can work together. They want young people who are skilled at talking across difference. And you don't learn to talk across difference if you're with people who are all just like you. Sure, sure. Uh, again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. We're talking about the way schools deal with kids of different skill level, academic skill level, uh, whether they should be sorting those kids into different classes, uh, which a lot of schools do, or if they should be trying to create uh, mixed ability uh, groupings for kids. If 
believe uh, they should be putting kids together uh, in a way that differentiates tre- uh, teaching but doesn't necessarily differentiate uh, the environment and the setting that kids are in. Uh, you can also go to the w- WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. No surprise, we have a lot of folks already queued up to talk about this issue. Uh, let's go to Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. How hey. are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. I uh, just wanted to let you know, um, uh, I read a couple books recently. Um, one was called uh, The Global Achievement Gap, and the other one was called uh, The End of College. Mm-hmm. Both the books discuss um, how our current education system is both in our um, our primary and secondary levels, but also in, um, in the college level, and how, uh, how everything's kind of built around a thing called the hybrid university model. Hmm. And uh, that's been kind of our education system for at least a century now, if not more. And um, one of the problems with it is that nowadays it's becoming more and more, uh, a little bit more like obsolete in the format of, because of our advancements in technology and because of the changing uh, ways of society, we we built our entire education system around people uh, eventually going to uh, specific colleges, mm-hmm. but not realizing that nowadays we can learn almost anything. And um, and if if I can uh, ever make a suggestion to anyone listening out there, the the time period we're living in right now, you don't have to be subjugated to um, having your kids only learn through school <laughs> and only learning through uh, if you need to go to college. Everybody listening, please download Khan Academy hmm. and utilize that app. You can learn anything. Huh. Uh, Mike, I, I really appreciate the, the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Dr. Moji, I'll give you a, a chance to respond to, to, to what he's saying there. Well, I, I think that's uh, it's a great point uh-huh. that we can learn in so many different ways. And there's access to incredible resources, um, whether it's on the Internet or in a variety of different venues. And so I really appreciate attention to um, learning beyond school mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and providing opportunities for children to learn in many different ways. Yeah. I do think we have to be um, careful about the idea of learning beyond school because Uh one of the challenges um, that we see is well-resourced families can provide incredible opportunities. really great stuff for their kids. Exactly. That's exactly right. So um, that's why we often see that, you know, higher achieving students do better in these track settings because they have enormous resources being poured into their learning and they would do just as well in untracked settings because of those same resources. So I, I completely appreciate the caller's uh, suggestion, but um, just a reminder that those resources aren't always equally They're not distributed. Always equal. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a little later in the show, we're going to talk about the ways in which this issue bumps up against issues of equity and fairness, uh, segregation, economic uh, separation in, in schools. Uh, they are very closely uh, related. Uh, again, Mike, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Sonia in Detroit. Sonia, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, good morning. Hey. Uh, I just wanted to say that I. I do believe that tracking in a lot of instances, especially in urban education, has its place. What I see as an educator uh, in Detroit are a lot of students who um, who just can't, and then a lot of students who can. Mm-hmm. But because they're so different, 
there's really no real level of differentiation that can account for uh, three students who cannot read, who have no reading ability, um, 10 students who are two to three grade levels behind, and then five to 10 students who are above grade level in reading. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to teach a a lesson at grade level. And so when we start speaking about differentiation and we don't take into account the realism of what these classrooms look like, and I understand in certain districts that's not necessarily the case, but that is the case across the city. And you have these students who could be honor students who have the potential to grow uh, and, and will be AP students in high school. And unfortunately, they are anchored down by the fact that their classmates just cannot. And a teacher with 30 students in the class, or even 25, just does not have the capacity. I don't yeah. care what their level of pedagogical uh, awareness and capacity is to hmm. teach that many things. It's not multiplicity. They cannot split themselves and go here <laughs> and teach a group how to read while teaching a group how to excel and grow within their reading. Yeah. So uh, and the same thing in math. Yeah. Sonia isn't there if you have students who can't count, so on and so forth. Sure, Sonia, that is a that is a really really great point, and I'm I'm glad you called and gave us that perspective from inside the classrooms here uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, Dr. Moji, I know a lot of your research takes place here in this in the city. This is something that I'm sure you've seen, and and I, I think one of the things that Sonia is is getting at there is. There is a difference between theory, right? What we know works best uh, in the ideal situations and what unfolds on a daily basis in a school district. And because we've had such problems in Detroit making sure that kids even get, uh, a lot of kids even get sort of the basic uh, level of education that, that people are entitled to, uh, that, it, that it becomes harder to, to try to sort of overlay this theory of differentiation on a situation where uh, the different the different uh, skill abilities are so broad that you're, you're talking about such a broad spectrum how do we how do we think about that issue in a city like Detroit and how do I, I guess how do you push that back in another direction Right. Those are great questions. And Sonia, I hear you. I, uh, I spend time in classrooms uh, as well in Detroit and uh, recognize those wide differences. And that's actually why um, one of the first things I said was that when needed, temporary interventions, interventions that actually uh, provide children and youth the skills they need to be successful mm-hmm. are absolutely appropriate. So I don't want to um, dismiss that idea. What I do want to push back on is the idea of permanent tracking where where children and youth are consigned to particular levels that they'll never leave. And I don't think that's what Sonia is getting at. And so I really want to make that distinction. I think it's a really important one. It is incredibly difficult to differentiate instruction in some classrooms. Mm-hmm. And that's you know because children haven't had opportunities to learn particular skills, because some students are challenged in different ways. And And one thing that we want to think about, in addition to those temporary interventions, is how we might provide students other ways in to information and ideas. Because one of the challenges of temporary interventions is that they often remove 
children from the very content learning sure. they need to be able to be successful. And so we uh, actually run a, a program, after school and summer program, that we're going to be taking into school classrooms in Detroit. And it's, it's a program focused on uh, actually engineering and mm -hmm. learning to um, engage in engineering mm -hmm. practice mm -hmm. um, in the community. And the children range in age and in skill level. And we work in a very mixed environment. And children work from their skill strengths. And then we work on trying to build, build on the, huh. the places where they are challenged. Um, we work with kids who really struggle to read and to write, but they all can manage to go out and collect data. Yeah. Um, so, so they're still learning while we're also working on those skills. It's hard. And I know Sonia's thinking, well, that's, you know, an after school program or a summer <laughs> program. It is absolutely um, challenging to do this wherever, wherever we are. But that's what I mean by both temporary interventions that can actually level up skills yeah. and really high levels of support for teachers and high levels of teaching quality, teaching practice. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to add another voice to this conversation, one that is a little more in favor of sorting kids in hard ways, uh, when they, especially when they are young and in elementary school. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Chuck and Brighton, Matt and Westland, Paul and Pontiac and Angela in Detroit, we will get to you as well after the break. Also remember, if you have to miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out on the show entirely. If you go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, you can download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. We will be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining my guests. Or Elizabeth Bert-Moji, Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. We have been talking about skill grouping in schools, the idea of sorting kids according to school into different classes or doing it differently, thinking about ways that you can keep kids of a broad range of skills in the same classroom and meet all of their needs. The research says that's the better way to do it, not just for kids who may be struggling with academic content, but for the kids who are excelling as well. They develop skills that they wouldn't in homogenous settings. But ask parents what they think about this, and you often get a very different answer. We want to hear from you uh, this hour, all hour, about how you think about this question. Are you uh, somebody who believes your child should be in a homogeneous academic setting? Are you the child, uh, the parent of an honors kid who you think needs to get every opportunity in order to get into a great college and have uh, great success in life, and you're worried about the idea of them being in a class with kids who are maybe not quite as prepared. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. 
and we'll work you into the conversation. <clears throat> I also want to welcome another voice to this conversation. Uh, Mike Petrilli is the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, a research fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, executive editor of Education Next, and a distinguished senior fellow for the Education Commission of the States. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. And I should also say a graduate of the University of Michigan. Oh, there you go. I got my teacher certificate from the education school. So there you there go. go. That is excellent. <laughs> um, uh, so, so let's start. Uh, you've written some about this, uh, and of course your research uh, focuses uh, on, on this subject. Uh, tell, us, tell us what your take is on this idea of uh, of of sorting kids according yeah. to ability. Uh, your take on it is a little different than, uh, than Dr. Moji's. Yeah, look, I, I've been listening to the conversation, and I, I agree with much of what's been said. Look, this is a really hard issue. This is one of the most difficult things that our schools have to deal with, is that when kids come in, uh, let's say, into kindergarten, uh, they are at all kinds of different levels. And mm-hmm. as you say, you've got some kids who are still learning their letters and other kids who are ready to learn Harry Potter. And helping teachers figure out how to handle that kind of diversity is really challenging. Uh, you know, in terms of the research, I think we have to acknowledge that what the research shows is that there are real trade-offs. Uh, certainly, there have been plenty of studies showing that if you take low-achieving kids and you put them only with other low achievers and give them low-level instruction, they're not going to make progress. And, of course, that's a huge problem. So we don't want to do that. Right. On the other hand, uh, there is also lots of studies that show that if you take high achievers uh, and you do not give them the opportunity to be around uh, peers that are also at, at their level or close to it, uh, that they will not make as much progress as they could. And, and not surprisingly, and this again, I think the parents will understand this just from common sense, they're going to be bored and frustrated. You know, at, look, at, at the bottom, at, at the end of the day, part of this all comes back to this tradition we have of taking kids who are the same age and putting them in the same classroom, even if they are not at the same level in terms of reading and math. And so if we really want to solve this problem eventually, I think some of, some of the talk that's going on in education around personalization and customization, letting kids move at their own pace, you know, maybe multi-age classrooms mm-hmm. so that you don't have to, you know, you can get away from this idea that just because the kids are six years old, they should all be, you know, learning the same material at the same time. We need to start moving away from some of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, absolutely got to work especially hard to help the low-achieving kids, the kids who are starting out low-achieving, helping them catch up. But, you know, if, if we're talking about, say, a system like Detroit where you've got, uh, you know, mostly low-income kids, I don't see how it's fair to take a low-income high-achieving student, uh, the kind of student who may have the opportunity to beat the odds that, that is coming on, even though they may be growing up in poverty, they are uh, really showing great promise academically, they could be uh, on track to go to selective colleges, and take that kid and say, well, you know, because you're in Detroit, we're going to, you know, not allow you to move ahead or accelerate or be around other high achievers. Uh, I don't see how that's fair. Hmm. You know, and frankly, in the suburbs, I'll tell you, in the affluent suburbs, they're still ability grouping, and they're still honors they classes, are. and sure. they're still going to make sure that the high-achieving kids get to go, uh, you know, move along at a, at a fast clip. And so we have this other kind of equity gap here where we allow the sort of rich kids in the suburbs to accelerate, and we are not allowing that for mm. the 
higher achieving kids uh, in our more disadvantaged neighborhoods. Mm. Uh, I want to read a quote from uh, something you've written. Uh, You said, I have no desire to punish students or deprive them of opportunity. Quite the contrary. My aim is to stop pretending that high school or college students with very low basic skills have a real shot of earning a college degree so that they might follow an alternative path that will lead to success. A college graduate will generally out-earn a high school graduate, to be sure, but a worker with technical skills will out-earn a high school or college dropout with no such skills. That's the true choice facing many students. Uh, You have talked uh, a lot about this idea of how schools should determine who's ready for college and who is ready for other things. Can you sort of expand a little on that idea? Sure. Well, let me be clear. We've got to be really careful about who's determining what. I mean, we do have this history in this country of this mm-hmm. horrible system of tracking that, uh, you know, that was going until uh, a few decades ago, where many times the education system decided who was going to go into which track, and it was decided largely based on race and class. So we do not want to go back to that. Uh, What we do want to do is be honest with kids and with families about what it's going to take to succeed in these various pathways. And and what we see happening now to to switch to high schools, you see a lot of kids who are being marched through these so-called college prep courses in high school, even though there are many grade levels below uh, in reading and in math and in writing. Uh, and nobody's telling them the truth to say, you know, you are right now, if, if, you know, okay, if you aspire to go to college, then you need to, we need to help you catch up big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if we don't do that, what's going to happen is you're going to graduate from high school, you're going to go to college, and if you end up in these remedial courses, which is very likely if you're way below grade level, uh, the chance of success of getting through those courses and getting a degree is very, very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just fear that we are not being honest with families or with kids right now about that, that uh, system that we've got. And so instead of ha- marching all these kids off a cliff, where basically we just push them to go into these college prep courses, even though most of them are not succeeding, uh, perhaps there are other pathways where they could find greater success. Now, the trick is, even uh, in, in career and technical education pathways, you know, those pathways don't work for kids who are two or three grade levels behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you know, you're, you've got to be at a very high level in terms of academics, in terms of, uh, you know, other uh, social emotional skills if you're going to be successful in a job training program. So it doesn't make our job any easier as educators. We still got to get kids to the point where in high school they are ready to do either meaningful college prep or meaningful career and technical kind of work. Uh, right now we're not uh, for a lot of kids we're not getting them to that point we're and we're not that. being honest about it. You know, these are kids who are getting passed along, passed from grade to grade, oftentimes getting good grades, you know, have no idea that they are not on path for success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Matt in Westland. Matt, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I agree with Sonia completely. The, I'm the a caller uh, in the first segment, yes. Yeah, I'm from, I'm a Detroit, you know, I lived there for 50 years, and, uh, I was in remedial classes, hmm. and my friends were in honor classes, and there's no way I could have kept up. Hmm. Hmm. And I couldn't get into university because my SAT was too low and my grade point was too low, so I had to go to community college my freshman year. But I did end up getting a master's and a postgrad from wow. Wayne State. Wow. But... 
you know, I just had to adjust, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, no, I, there's no way I could have kept up in honor classes. Right. I graduated from high school with a ninth grade reading level. Wow. You know? Wow. Matt, I, oh. I, I really appreciate your calling and sharing uh, that story. Uh, Dr. Moji, I want to sort of bring you back uh, into, into the conversation here, given what uh, Mike Petrilli is saying and what someone like Matt in Westland is saying. I mean, it, it all gets to the complication of, of trying to figure out what the right way to do this is. Uh, but, but this idea that, that, um, that, we might, that we might eliminate uh, skill grouping, are you, are, you, are you sure that that's the, 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 the thing we ought to be striving for? Right. So I'm I'm sure that we ought to be striving for eliminating rigid mm-hmm. skill based uh, systems that sort kids at very young ages um, to Mike's point. Um, you know, we should be examining the idea of developmental K through three um, grade levels where we have mixed age groupings, because, mm-hmm. in fact, um, to really make his point some children might not learn to read until they're six or seven years old. Right. In, a, in a heavily tracked system, they would have been consigned to a low ability or low reading group at a very early age, and that, that assignment will follow them through their uh, school experience. That's the issue that we have to really explore, not whether we should be differentiating. Mm-hmm. We absolutely should be differentiating. We should be providing all sorts of opportunities for children to learn and to choose the pathways they want to follow. I couldn't agree more with the idea of opening up possibilities for career and technical education. Uh, We have to get past the idea that everybody should follow lockstep a particular curriculum. It's the issue of assigning people and never letting them out of those assignments. Yeah, yeah. That's the trick. And, And the danger, given the link... To history, right? Uh, that that uh, we have done in this country exactly that for so long, and done it uh, according to racial and economic biases that are very, very dangerous. And that's absolutely right. And the the point about um, you know this horrible system of tracking that we used to have, we still have those systems of tracking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're they take different forms, but the point that Mike made about being you know the suburb still offering many different levels of education, um, the suburbs often also have huge achievement gaps. And those have been unmasked as we've been forced to disaggregate data. And we see that those tracks are often, if not always, uh, aligned with racial racial and ethnic difference and with socioeconomic status. And that's the real issue that I think that we have to grapple with, not whether we should differentiate. We absolutely have to do that. And I take every point um, I think Matt made about, you know, not um, having wanted to be in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. honors classes because he didn't feel like he could keep up. That's not what a system of untracked schools is about. It's not about forcing kids into work they can't handle. Um, You know, I use the example of uh, when I took a skiing lesson. 
Um, I certainly would not have wanted to go with the group who was going to work on their moguls because I wasn't ready to do that. But I also did a bad run on my test and I got assigned to a group that was well below my skill level. Hmm. And I did not receive instruction that supported me in improving my skills. I wouldn't have wanted to be with the moguls group, but I didn't want to be with the group I was assigned to. And it was really hard once everybody went away to find my way to another group. So I dropped out. I dropped out of the ski lesson. So, uh, you know, this is obviously, I'm making a big uh, comparison here, but but there are many um, similar sorts of um, practices in schooling. Uh, Mike Petrilli, I want to give you a chance to address that issue too. You know, does tracking end up penalizing students who are poor and uh, from minority backgrounds? They could have succeeded if they were in better places, but uh, but we're not giving them the opportunity to grow uh, in the districts where they are. Right. Now, look, that, that is the concern we got to face. Uh, but again, I, I just feel like this conversation, it feels like it could have been happening 20 years ago. I think most schools have moved past uh, this debate by trying to work on having flexible groupings when necessary mm-hmm. and to be very careful to make sure that kids have the ability to move up when they are showing that they're ready to be bumped up to the next group. Now, for sure, I bet there's schools out there that need more work on that. But <laughs> You know, we we hear a lot of complaints about the tests that happen all the time in our schools, for example, especially some of the tests that the districts do. But a lot of what that testing is doing is they're trying to test frequently uh, in elementary school the reading level and the math level of the kids so that they can rearrange these groups. They can find out, okay, you know what, Johnny started out behind, but in the last quarter he's made a huge amount of progress, and now we're going to bump him up. Uh, to the next reading group. And and that is what's happening in a lot of our schools. And I think that is appropriate. And, mm-hmm. you know, you call it ability grouping, maybe you just call that differentiation. Uh, but it is a practical solution to this problem that the kindergarten or first or second grade teacher faces every day, which is looking out at a class of you know, 25 kids who are all over the place in terms of achievement level uh, and how to best serve their needs uh, and having them in groups part of the time when when there's, you know, very clear instruction. So, you know, with one group, you're sounding out letters and another group, you're able to be working on uh, something further down the progression. Uh, This is just common sense. Uh, And I don't think we should have an ideological opposition to it uh, as long as everybody is getting good instruction and is being, we're helping everybody make progress. That's the key. Okay. Mike Petrilli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about skill grouping in schools. We're going to keep Dr. Elizabeth Moji with us, uh, and we're going to welcome a local educator and author who's gone through all the ranks of teaching and administration in the city and suburbs here in Metro Detroit. We're going to talk about how this issue bumps up against race and class in our schools. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. We will get to you. Angela in Detroit, Paul in Pontiac, Deborah in Detroit, Chuck in Brighton. We'll be back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. 
And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about the way that schools deal with kids of different academic skill levels. A lot of schools uh, separate those kids, sort them out into different classrooms in a process called tracking. Other schools try to mix classes a little more and count on teachers to differentiate their instruction in order to deal with kids at different levels. We're talking about which is the right way to do that. And we also want to hear from you, uh, especially if you're a parent here in Metro Detroit. How do you think of this issue? Are you somebody who is a parent maybe of a kid who needs extra help in the classroom or a kid who really excels? What do you think about the idea of them being in a classroom with kids of different skill levels. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation all hour. We have had Elizabeth Burr-Moji, who is the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan with us to talk about this issue. And now I want to welcome another voice into the conversation. Aaron Johnson is a teacher, an administrator, an adjunct lecturer at Wayne State University and an author. He has a new book coming out in November called A Walk in Their Kicks, Literacy, Identity, and the Schooling of Young Black Males. Uh, that book, of course, includes a foreword by Dean Moji. Uh, Aaron Johnson, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's start with uh, with this book that is coming out in November. Uh, talk about what, what, what it's about. And I think it sort of bumps up against this conversation we're having about how schools deal with kids of differing abilities. Yes. Well, uh, thank you. The book is a labor of love. Um, I'm, I'm very passionate about literacy, and I believe that literacy uh, engagement and literacy engagement and, and school-based literacy mm-hmm. and, and helping African-American male students to be able to connect their out-of-school experiences to their in-school experiences really help them to connect to the school environment. So in my book, I talk about what schools can do to help to encourage that connection between mm-hmm. the two, mm-hmm. um, it, it is it is a uh, a reconstruction of my dissertation that I wrote uh, that was actually done right mm-hmm. here at Wayne State University mm-hmm. um, that um, sought teachers' voices about how to improve schools for 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 their African American male students. Um, it talks about it, it starts by looking at the historical background of schooling for African American people, uh-huh. and then really quickly goes into uh, some of the theoretical foundations uh, that underpin how students learn, how they connect to literacy, um, how they use their outside of school experiences to make sense of the school environment. Yeah. Uh, so you have been a, a teacher. And an administrator in Detroit, in Hamtramck, Farmington, Gross Point. Uh, talk about your experience with tracking and what you see uh, as differences, I guess, across those districts. I know a lot of different uh, educators think and uh, think of this differently and and have different practices in their districts. Yeah, so I've been fortunate to really see the gamut um, as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off uh, my teaching career here in the Detroit Public Schools. Um, so I, I really didn't really understand. I, I, I conceptually understood what mm-hmm. tracking meant, but mm-hmm. I really didn't understand it until I saw it from the balcony view. And as an administrator, uh, when I saw students uh, that were denied access to higher level content, 
Um, and as I heard earlier, I think Dr. Moji said, um, usually falls along racial lines, mm-hmm. usually falls along socioeconomic uh, lines. And so, um, as, so as an administrator, I've, I've always sought to create the types of environments that students had access. Yeah. One of the callers talked about, well, he himself didn't feel the efficacy to be able to do well in honors level or maybe AP or IB courses. And, and that's totally understood. But um, what I've seen in my career is that there's there's been the denial of access to that higher level content, sure. which in turn uh, sometimes plays out in denial of higher level instruction, of the the types of social environments that are needed between students to be able to provide that access to, yeah. that, to that instruction. Yeah. Uh, again, the number on the phone is 313-577-1019. We've still got lots of people in queue to talk about this issue. Kay in Detroit, you're up next on Detroit Today. Are you there, Hello. Kay? Hey, hey, how are you? Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Hello. Go ahead, Kay. Can you hear me? Yes. I wanted to say a few more factors that um, could be considered in this very challenging and um, very um, challenge that we have here. Uh-huh. I mean, this, uh, you know, problem, this issue. Uh, what about the degree to which parents, regardless of their income level, are able to partner with the school? Mm-hmm. Um, that can, you know, be uh, something that we want to stimulate, even though I noticed that in the DPL, Detroit Public Library System, they have been um, doing all kinds of things to get the parents involved from infancy, and it's been challenging. What about free resources that low-income parents hmm. uh, can get? Things outside the classroom, that I, uh, programs that I see promoted around the city that are uh, underused. Hmm. What about the Head Start factor that is supposed to help address sure. and sure. prevent some problems? Because I think yeah. um, if Head Start could have follow-through that would help. But see, that involves, I guess, a, a lot more money. Yeah. That's what Kay, I've been told. Kay, I, yes. I, I really appreciate yes. the what call and the, and the questions. IDP? Yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Moji, I'll give you the first crack at uh, addressing what Kay's talking about there. I, I think Kay brings up really important points about all kinds of resources outside schools that can help to support children in, in growing and advancing and developing. I want to emphasize one. Um, Kay mentioned Head Start. Mm-hmm. And we know from research Um, that's very, very current, that one of the most important things we can do for children across the board is provide them with preschool education. Um, If we can give, uh, you know, equitable Mm -hmm. early childhood opportunities to all children, we will see a a real decrease in that that gap that Mike noted before kids even come to school. So we do see um, gaps in achievement before kids enter kindergarten. If we can intervene on that early, we can make a difference. And what's important to underscore is that parents with resources Mm -hmm. are sending their children to the finest kinds of preschool opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go to Angela in Detroit. Angela, welcome to Detroit today. You there, Angela? I think we lost Angela. Let's go to Deborah in Detroit. Deborah, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I yep. just wanted to call and address the issue of grade inflation in the suburbs versus in the city. Hmm. Um, in the suburbs, there's been a recent study that, that showed that in the suburbs, um, grade inflation takes place more so than in the city. But then when you pivot to college applicants, 
colleges perceive great inflation in the city versus the suburbs. Versus the suburbs. So there's that's a perception that it's harder to earn always in Birmingham than in Detroit, when actually the opposite is true. So there's like institutional ideas that are just sort of bubbling up through the research that are harming students. Wow. Wow. Deborah, that's a really interesting issue. Aaron Johnson, you've taught in uh, a number of these districts in the city and in the suburbs. Uh, How does what uh, Deborah's talking about strike you? Uh, That is a very uh, good question. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that I've been able to really be a part of is to address this idea of grade inflation. Mm -hmm. And uh, in our in my current district, one of the things we're doing is we're trying to focus on students' mastery of skills versus the assignment of a grade that really is in some in, in many cases arbitrary. It's very arbitrary, it's sure. Very arbitrary. So if we look at how students master the the skills that we believe that they need to be successful, that I think sort of mitigates that problem a little bit. There's no way that you could totally take the subjectivity out of out of grades mm-hmm. but um, when we start assessing students for what they actually know versus uh, the other things that go into grades uh, for example parental social power sure, sure. or um, teachers you know whether or not a teacher likes a student <laughs> um, whether or not a, a student can advocate for him or herself all of those things go into uh, a student's assignment of grades, and so when we can take that that the arbor- arbitrary nature of assigning grades and really look at this from an equitable lens, yeah. um, to 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 look at how students connect to material, I think we'll we'll be able to at least get closer to solving that problem. Sure, sure. Uh, again, thanks for the call and the questions, uh, Deborah. Let's let's quickly go to Carlo in Brighton. Carlo, I've got about a minute left, but I wanted to get you in here. Really briefly, you know, we can't fall in what seemed like a exacting view of Plato's Republic where we plug people into leaders, soldiers, wow. workers. I mean, it's, it's such a delicate task, and the tragedy of it is so many don't get that good foundational education so we can even give a good assessment. Yeah. Thank God Einstein didn't get totally sidetracked because <laughs> he screwed up in algebra, right. or we'd have never had you know, the theory of relativity. Right. I just right. think we have to walk really carefully when we start telling kids what they should be when they grow up, particularly if we haven't given them an opportunity to truly develop what their potential is. Yeah. Carlo, uh, great, uh, great comment. I'm glad uh, you called to share that. Uh, okay, Elizabeth Burmoji, Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. Thanks very much for joining us all hour to talk about this uh, great subject. Thank you for having me. Also it's great fabulous. to have uh, you here, Aaron Johnson, and we will look forward to your new book, A Walk in Their Kicks, Literacy, Identity, and the Schooling of Young Black Males, which comes out in November. Is yes. that right? Yes. Uh, all right. Thanks for being here as well. Thank you. All right. I want to give a shout out uh, to our associate producer, Evan Yee, who uh, booked and produced this segment. He's been doing great work for us all summer, and we wish him luck as he returns to his classroom this fall as a teacher at Groves High School in Birmingham. Also, remember, 630 tonight, Ferndale Area District Library. We're going to continue the Detroit Today Summer Book Club talking about housing insecurity here in Southeast Michigan. We hope to see you there. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. I'll see you tonight at the Ferndale Library, or we'll see you tomorrow here back on the show.